0: I hope the sermon is entertaining today and I hope it's not boring. I, I had a dream, I had a dream last night, and a lady was coming to church and she was saying, she says, I'm, I'm afraid that, I'm afraid of coming to church because I'm afraid the sermon's going to be boring. And I said, ma'am, I assure you that the sermon will not be boring. If it is, we'll give your money back. <laughs> I promise you that was my dream last night. It was crazy was crazy, so I'm not, I'm not making that promise to any of you, I made it to the lady in the dream, so <laughs> if you're not caffeinated, it's not on me. Um, I, just let me plug once again, next, shir- next Sunday is one church, don't forget that, um, those can sneak up on us, one service at 10 o'clock, so don't, don't miss that. And, and also, next Sunday night, there's our Super Bowl, Super Bowl party, and I hope you'll be a part of that. This is the first time we've ever done this as the whole church. I mean, we've had life groups do it, and we've had people host things and stuff, but we as a church, and so if you don't like, if you don't watch the Super Bowl, you want to eat. I mean, everybody's bringing a snack. Bring a good snack uh, to share, and then we'll have some games around in some of the rooms around here. So if you want to play a game instead of watching the Super Bowl, or um, you may not want to watch the Super Bowl, you may just want to watch the commercials. Sometimes that's more entertaining than the ball game, so encourage you to be here for that. Well, let's review a little bit. Last week, we, we talked about um, the story of how God is at work and, 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 and he, how He used the nation of Israel in the Old Testament from Abraham through the ascension of Jesus, that God's channel of redemption was through the nation of Israel and God has been working that but now he's made this shift where he has moved to this new, what we call a new economy the the church age that he is working today through the church. Remember the that Jesus talked about how the, the nation of Israel had rejected him rejected the prophets and ultimately rejected him They did that corporately as a nation, and most did that individually in their lives. So God has moved to a new system. And last week I talked from Romans 11 how that this new system is not just for Jews, but it's also for us Gentiles. And the picture that was used in Romans 11 was that of a wild olive branch being grafted into the olive tree. And so I thought I'd do this today and and show you because I was talking about that a lot last week, and I didn't illustrate But um, if you're going to graft, you take the new tree which is the one on top and you cut it in a V and then you cut in the bottom tree and you try to get them about the same size and you stick them in uh, together and then you put some resin around it and then you wrap them and if you do it right, uh, it takes. And that's kind of what it means to graft something in. So we have been grafted in to true life from God. That's where we are today. Now, I talked about Israel and how that Israel, it's like, it's like they, they're, they were the first team and they are on the bench now and they're sitting on the bench, but God is going to bring them back into the game at the end times and that'll be Act 3 and we'll talk about that. So plan to, to be here for the rest of it. Let's review our chart right quickly um, in, 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 uh, in, our, in our new economy here. We see that uh, Israel, as I talked about last week, was God's channel of redemption in Act 1. Now Israel is waiting, they're on the bench, they're waiting to come back into the game and they're in that waiting time. And remember we did Acts 1 through 12, uh, the ascension, the 12 disciples, which were the seeds of God's work. Then Acts 2, the Holy Spirit comes, 3,000 people were saved. Acts 8, the church was scattered because God used persecution to scatter them. And, and Acts 10 is this great bridging over where this barrier between Jews and Gentiles is broken down. And he explains that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That gets explained in Ephesians chapter 2. Acts 13 to the present that we're going to talk about today is going to be the growth of the church. And um, then we're going to take a couple of weeks on law and grace. And then we'll come to the epistles. And then we'll come to the end. So looking forward to what we have. Today I'm going to talk about Acts 13. Through today, a mere two thousand years, in a mere twenty minutes or something like that. So we're going to be flying, and uh, I'm going to go real fast. But uh, I laid the ground of the church. But we ended off. I'm going to skip down to Acts twelve twenty four for the next one that I show. We see that this is where we left off at Acts twelve twenty four. If we can skip down to that, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. And that's what's happening, and God is continuing to do a work today. Our articles of incorporation for what happened in the church is found in Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is our Articles of Incorporation. Notice especially verses 18 and 19. I will build my church, the gates of Hades, all of Satan's forces will not overcome it, and I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I give you. Now, this is what we see uh, all through our series. We see that God says, I will do this, and that's grace. When God says, I will, that's not us, that's Him. It's all grace. It's God doing it all. He says, I will build my church, no man can stop it, and again we see this pattern of where God tells us what He's going to do before He does it. Nobody can stop the plan of God, when God says He's going to do it, He does it. Now He says, I'm going to build my church, now church is not the best translation, it's the Greek word ekklesia, and it really means a gathering, a gathering of people, so it, it, it's, not a, it's not really, uh, it's not a building it's not a geographical location it's a it's a gathering of people so in a real sense this this becomes the church when you guys show up this is the church it's the gathering of people so You you know, this is a great text, though. If I were to gather all the the Christian churches that meet in Emporia, Kansas, and surrounding regions of the Gay, and I got them all together, we would probably disagree about how to interpret lots of things in Scripture. But the one thing, the one thing that all the Christian churches would agree on is this. Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ is the Christ and I just say honestly if you don't agree on that you're probably not a Christian church you're something but you're not a Christian church because that's at the very core of who we are. Acts 13 through the rest is the focus turns from Peter to Paul and Paul is this great gentile missionary he goes on these three missionary journeys and he starts planting these churches there. It starts growing, it starts growing not because Paul was a great missionary, it starts growing because Jesus said, I will build my church, nothing can stop it. I'm going to build my church, nothing can stop it. And, and I, I had a whole list of church history things I was going to share with you and bore you out of your minds with church history. I decided to spare you of that, you're welcome, and, but I am just going to say this. The church has had its ups and downs, and the organized church has done well at times and done terrible at other times. People outside the church have persecuted the church, and especially when somebody came alive and wanted to do something for the church. They martyred people that wanted to translate the Bible so that the lay people could have it. Why? Because that would be a good thing. That would advance the kingdom. There has been so much persecution on the church of Jesus Christ and it has not failed. And the church itself is guilty of a lot of failures and sin and junk that's been done in the name of Jesus. I mean, I could go back through church history and talk to you about the Inquisition and the Crusades and imperialism and treating people, other people, as less than human. We in America have our sin and how the Christians and even churches defended slavery. 150, 200 years ago, we have fought wars in the name of God, and the church and Christians have been guilty of pride and bigotry and intolerance, there's been a string of scandals in the church, and a lot of you can remember 20 years ago, all the televangelists, one after another, money, sex, and power, nothing new under the sun, is there? If we could go back and look at all of these things, you're like, why is the church even here? Somewhere along the way, it should have just died out. You know, things got so bad and so dark. We don't have a very pretty history at times. There was always a remnant of people that were true in their faith to God. And Jesus had said it. He had said, I will build my church. Satan, all the forces of evil, all the attacks that we have seen on Christianity, low and high, very intellectual, very stupid, all kinds of attacks. It's still here. And I listed some of our failures, but I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you about all of our successes. Not only has the gospel brought people into the kingdom of God and people's lives have been forever changed and they've received life in this life and in the life to come because of the life-changing gospel of Jesus. I would have to say this, Christianity has been the source of so much good in this world. The orphanages and the hospitals and feeding the hungry. The mass of what we would call humanitarian good deeds has been driven by Christ followers that just loved people and cared for people. Christians have been at the forefront of education. Christians want their students, their followers to be students of God's words, but they were never intimidated by education or what research or study might uncover. You know, I was thinking about that as I was preparing this message and I thought about The Case for Christ. Have, have any of you seen that movie, The Case for Christ or The Case for... read the book? Yeah. Um, it's interesting, Lee, Lee Strobel as an as a, uh, investigative journalist decided to explore and to dig in this whole idea of the resurrection of Jesus. He thought the more he found, the more it would dispel this idea that there was this miracle. And the more he studied, and the more he found scholars, and the more he went to the literature, and the more he talked to people who were educated and bright and smart, the more he found defenders of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, I don't think that our God is afraid of any of the inventions of men. He is not afraid of any of the instruments that man may use. The research, the education. You see, our God can stand up to scrutiny. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wanted to write a book about parents who failed to educate their children. He said, they're not parents at all, but despicable hogs and venomous beasts. You know, our our country has a history of education. The Puritans, uh, not long after they landed at Pilgrim Rock, within 30 or 40 years, they passed a law to require mass education in Massachusetts. Now, the name of the act, get this, was the Old Deluder Satan Act. And the act said it being one chief product of that old deluder Satan to keep men from the knowledge of the scriptures. And so they decided to start a college. The name of the college was Harvard. And in their student handbook, it says this, It says this, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of this life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ which is eternal life and therefore to lay Christ as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. Harvard was started with a Christian basis, so was Yale, William and Mary, Princeton, Brown, all of them. In fact, ninety-two percent of the first one hundred and thirty-eight universities and college were founded by Christians with Christian purposes. And education is really important in our country. It was founded by Christians. Now we can probably debate the the merits of how much good or bad education has done today. But it sure started well, and I still think God stands up to our investigation. Don't be afraid. So Jesus gave us commission, and what we see today is the living out of that, and the one text I'd like to read for that is Luke 24, 44 through 49. This is right before Jesus leaves His disciples. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. I'm going to skip down to the message there on my, uh, my PowerPoints on page 4. The message was this, repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is the message that He has been given to us to preach for Him. And it's for all of us now. Acts 10.43 said this, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So we can go to everyone and preach this good news of the gospel. The focus is that it's going to be preached in his name. That's why when you get to Acts 4.12 it says this, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, I just want to, I want to pause on that for a minute because it is seen today in today's culture that we are very narrow-minded and intolerant and, and exclusive if we teach that Jesus is the only way to God. And I don't think that's a very fair argument at all. In fact, lots of times we're quite intolerant and narrow-minded and exclusive when we point people to the right answer for a question. Um, Dr. Hollenbeck teaches math at the university, and so when he gives them a question, a mathematical problem, and they come to the end, and it's like there's one answer. In theory, I mean, sure, right? Yes, there should be one answer. There should be one answer. And in in recent years, in recent years, I was thinking about the fact how that. In, in, in technology and, and biotech pharmaceuticals and all the studies that we have of, of, of genes and, and, and DNA and all the stuff that people now, that the researchers are designing medicines that are very specific, targeted toward a very specific disease and illness. So would it be narrow-minded for me to think, well, why should we just have one medicine? I think I'm going to take an aspirin instead. Can't you be broad-minded? Can't you be tolerant? It's, it's really exclusive to think that this is the only medicine that is going to target that disease. And yet we'd call anyone foolish who wouldn't take the target medicine for the specific disease. And yet it's intolerant if we think that Jesus is the only way. To all nations. The scope of this message was to all nations. Mark 16, 15, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. John said it this way, As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So one more verse, 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15:58 Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the Lord, to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You see this, this message, this, this whole gospel message, this building of the church has been passed to us today and God is doing it. I was, I was really moved by what Andy Stanley said at the Global Leadership Summit. I think it's been five years ago now. And he's talking about this, how that Jesus is building the church and I want to use a clip from that. But before I do that, let me, set, let me set this up. He's talking about visiting the Roman Colosseum and how that this Roman Colosseum where they used to persecute Christians now has a cross standing in the Colosseum. And he is imagining what it would be like to go back 2,000 years ago and be walking with Paul to his execution and telling Paul about what he's seeing around him now and what's going to change. Because you see, Jesus said that he was going to build his church. And he said nothing, 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 nothing will ever stand in the way. Let's listen to Andy Stanley for just a minute. I hope that's as inspiring to you as it was to me. That we get to be a part of what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. He said, I'm going to build my church. The church is God's channel and the primary mission of our church is to reach our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to plant churches all around the world who will do that so that people will still repent and find forgiveness and that's still happening. So hear me today, never devalue your contribution To God's work. Never belittle the gifts, the skills, the opportunity, the resources God has given to you. And God is still building His church, and He will be until every nation hears, until, as we learned last week, the full number of Gentiles are saved, until the Father says it's the end. We get to be a part of that. Pretty exciting stuff. He's building His church we get to have a part in that. So that's the good news for today. Cast that vision. Next week we'll be talking some, next couple of weeks about law and grace. How do you reconcile those things? And then we'll be moving on in the greatest story. Let's stand together for a closing prayer. As always, if you have questions about your spiritual journey, I'd love to chat with you about that. If we can be of any help here. Father, thank you. Thank you that your promise is being lived out right here in Emporia, Kansas, and we get to have a part in that. And so may we be faithful until one day you call us home or you return. Maranatha, in Jesus' name, amen.